Welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Success Times Happiness Podcast. This is a very special uh, edition because it is the very first episode that we have recorded in studio, in the new studio here at Thompson Legal. Um, today's guest is Pepe Bowetti. He is a incredible human. He is the PR guy on the Sunshine Coast. He is the most well-connected person you could ever think of. He has helped me with all of my sporting public relations and marketing and has been integral to setting up and helping me set up the law firm and everything that, that comes with that. So he wanted to be the first person that we interviewed in the studio and uh, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to sit down with him and talk about his life and his lessons as well. So here we go. Pepe Boetti. Welcome to the show. We talked about the idea of me coming out of sport, going back into law, starting a law firm, and the law firm would have a podcast studio in it. And you, you had two conditions upon all of that happening. What were the two conditions? <laughs> the two conditions, Richard, and firstly, thanks for the opportunity, is uh, I wanted to be your first client, mm-hmm. which will happen at the end of uh, January this year. And... Um, Kind of indicator wouldn't mind being one of your guests on your podcast. Yeah. And so we're now recording from Thompson Legal. Mm, first uh, one. Fern, you're the first one. Yeah. So thank you so much. Oh, it's great to be here. Ros White brought, took, I remember, the, I remember the exact day that she said that I needed to meet you. And she said that there's only, there's only one Peppy Bowetti. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what I had conjured up in my mind when she said that. You said that you were the the absolute, the the necessary piece that I needed in in sport with public relations and marketing. Um, and she said, without a hesitation of a doubt, that you were the person that that I needed to needed to call upon. But what's amazing since that her saying that is when we first met, and since then, and it's only progressed for I think more. It probably even after the sport, but I mm. reckon I speak to you five times a week. That's what my wife tells me. <laughs> Leave Angie out of it. I'm sure she appreciates it on the summer yeah, sort yeah, of level. Yeah, the regular text less, and phone calls. And less, less that she needs to interact with you maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the key to a long-lasting relationship. And before we continue, that's really kind of what Roz White said and, and to have someone of Roz's esteem to say words like that about anyone, including me, is incredible. So you are the PR man on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Um, and But I want to, I guess, take go back to, I don't know, today I wanted to get to know you more. I think people, a lot of people on the coast do know you and I think you've got a great story generally. You've been in, r- ridiculously instrumental in terms of what you do professionally and what you've done professionally for me as an athlete um, and all the connections and sponsorship and PR that we were able to ascertain or obtain. Mm-hmm. And then it's been a wonderful uh, full circle to be able to now formally engage your company for the law firm. Yep. Um, and uh, just to see, to see you in a different light, I, I guess. But I just feel like we've, our friendship has gotten stronger as well. Uh, yeah, no but I do. But I do think I'd like. Yeah, I'd like to chat about your life experience today. Sure. And so, Pepe Bowetti it's not necessarily an Anglo-Saxon name. <laughs> it's not. You're a, you're a full-blooded Italian. I, I am. Talk to me about growing up in Mount Gambia. Growing up in Mount Gambia. Well, I guess for listeners and viewers who don't know where Mount Gambia is, it's a it's a very small, as in twenty five, thirty thousand people, country town on the basically on the South Australian-Victoria border. So it's exactly the same distance to Melbourne to Adelaide from Mount Gambier. So um, it's a little place. It's it's renowned for its a blue lake. Um, lots of different industries there. But it's, it's where a lot of Italians went when they came to Australia um, post-migration. There's lots of um, um, timber facility there. So a lot of Italians used to go to Mount Gambier to live and cut trees and... Um, create a life for themselves. So, um, so yeah, that's where I was born. Your parents emigrated? Yeah, that's right, separately. So mum, um, mum and dad met in Mount Gambia, both Italians. Dad's from 
my late father, who passed away nine years ago this year, he um, he's from Calabria, which is um, the southernmost tip of Italy, and mum's from a, a little town called Murugano, which is um, about a couple of hours n- near Naples, so sort of in that Basilicata area. So they met in Mount Gambia. Um, it, it wasn't easy back then for any migrants, but 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 even within Italy, like because my dad's from Calabria, and you know I think a lot of people know. Calabrians have a fairly tough reputation. It's it's where the mafia is from. So, my, and even though where my mum is from uh, was only two or three hours drive away, they were still considered to be like bad people. You don't associate with the Calabrians. So, Dad had to do a lot of leg work uh, with uh, Mum's parents to win her heart and their trust. Um, and even the first. Um, three, four years of their marriage, um, they had to live in the family home with my grandparents. Amazing. Uh, before before they moved out, yeah. So there was a real trust factor at play there, absolutely. So so I have five siblings. So, and so four of my five siblings were born uh, in, in, in that house with my grandparents. Wow. Mm. I was about to ask whether they had separate bedrooms. Uh, yeah, they do. Few, they did have separate bedrooms, but, but, but I, I, I still know the house and we still own the house. And, and yeah, grandparents' room was there. Mum and Dad's room was right next door, and then me and my two other brothers shared a room. I've got no idea where my sister. Maybe my sister was in Mum and Dad's room. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is it through that through that upbringing? Do you think that has set the tones or the importance of family for you? I'm really lucky because we have lots of family in Mount Gambia. So, so as I said, there was a lot of Italians that migrated to um, to Mount Gambia, and so both sides of my my mum's side of the family and my dad's side of the family, particularly my dad's, we there was we had a lot of family there, and a lot of them were involved in the local soccer club. You know, they helped set up the club sixty or seventy years ago with you know as foundation members, and and it's still there today, and it's still a huge successful club. So there's a really strong community there of, yeah. of Italians and, and I was related to a lot of them. So, you know, Christmases, birthdays, Easter, every event you could think of, you'd always have family around. And, and for me, it was just a great part. I didn't know any different. So if I had Italian friends, particularly Italian friends who only might have had a couple of cousins around yeah. um, or didn't do the traditional Italian things that we did like, you know, make the salami or the pasta sauce, all that. I, I actually felt sorry for them. I was like, gee, you guys are really missing out because <laughs> I got the full Italian experience. You actually said before we started recording that you, you missed out on a, a, a few of, I guess, what we would consider as normal childhood upbringings because you were so busy making the pasta sauce yeah. and the salami. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess we, we might talk about the caravan park that mum and dad bought. So... Uh, which restricted our ability to, to do anything really because, as you know, a caravan park is a seven-day-a-week business from 8 in the morning till 10 at night. I have no experience <laughs> right. in caravan right. operations. Yeah. But, imagine yeah, but you can imagine, like it's full on because people yeah, yeah. come whenever they like to, 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 to stay with you and it might be 10 or 11 o'clock at night so you're staying up until they come because oh, there's yeah. no technology yeah, back right. then to say, oh, you know, we've left the door open for you or whatever. Yeah, yeah. People would ring and whatever. So, so yeah, so mum and dad's time was really spent at that caravan park. What made the decision for them to, to get into that business? Yeah, you? that's a good question because, you know, like so dad was a mechanic by training, mm-hmm. um, even though his skills weren't recognised or his qualifications weren't recognised in Australia. So he actually had to go and work for nothing for a little while just to learn his skills and right. or improve his skills and prove, prove that he was a good worker and he, and he did that um, in, in a very very well. So so um, but as the family grew, they decided, well, we can't just live off and this income. I need we need to do something else. And Dad was very entrepreneurial by nature. He was a real people person as well. So um, whereas Mum was more of a homebody and she was really good at the accounts and sure. all, you know all the admin type things. Whereas Dad was the guy that was out there meeting people and fixing things and doing all sorts of stuff. So. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the life that we led, really. So, you know, like, and I had lots of friends who would go skiing on the weekends or going to the beach or surfing and doing all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it was really hard for us because mum and dad were committed to running the caravan park and, you know, we had no other help there. We didn't have staff. You couldn't do things like that. You couldn't employ people. That would be wasting money when you've got four or five kids that can come and help you do certain things within within the business. So mm-hmm. so and and within the family each of us had our own responsibilities. So I've got an older brother who who turned 60 last year. So he his, he was quite good with his hands. So he was kind of out there helping dad fixing things and all that sort of stuff. Um 
my second oldest brother, he like he's great at finance and admin and all that sort of stuff. So he would he be helping mum. Yep. Yeah. So and I had none of those skills. Um, so my so we also had a laundromat uh, right next to the house where people like a coin operated laundromat. So people would come in and do their washing and all that sort of stuff. So my job would be going there and just make sure everything was working all right and talk to people and doing all that sort of stuff. So it's probably where I got a lot of my communication skills from initially. And then my sister's job was to stay, just hang around mum, make sure whatever mum do, does, you do, and all that sort of stuff because there's not a lot of leniency for uh, or leeway for young um, Italian um, children, uh, female children as well. Um, and then I have a younger brother who went off and did a trade and all that sort of stuff as well. So we were all employed in the caravan park. We all had our jobs to do and, um, yeah, the opportunity to go away and do other things was limited, and then we had a lot of cultural things that we did, like yeah, making the pasta sauce or making the salami or doing the other things that we do. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of time to do other things. You, you made mention of the your dad's ability to connect mm. with people, mm. and I would put you up there as probably some someone that obviously that your your ability to connect is so high with, and that's what makes I think you so good at what you do because you weren't as you say great at the other jobs mm. do you think you le- looked up to your dad and l- got the ways that he was able to interact because i imagine everyone there's going to be so many different walks of life that come into that caravan bunk mm. and whether or not you're actively knowing it at the time but you're picking up skills on how to read people how to read their demeanor their facial expressions their you know their who they are as people and how to make that small talk and that connection. You yeah. think you're, t- you're picking that up from your dad? Yeah, I'd say it's something I did inherit from my dad. And a lot of people say out of probably all the kids, I'm probably more, most similar to him. Yeah. And I am, but I'm not because, you know, he was very entrepreneurial. He was really street smart. He was – I certainly did inherit that sort yeah. of connection skill that I had. But, but yeah, and I'm really open, like, you know, if – and, and it's, it's the same today. I, I didn't have any – I was never a great student at school. I've, I was, you know, even today, you know, like I'm never the, the smartest guy in the room. I'm certainly not the best-looking guy in the room. I'm not – I wasn't a great athlete. I didn't have any outstanding attributes, but – I guess what I did have is the ability to communicate. I guess nowadays, you know, you would call it, um, you know, uh, empathy or, you know, you know, those sort of social skills that um, um, emotional intelligence, I guess, is the word nowadays that people use. I, I guess I have that in, in a big way. It's probably my superpower, to be honest. I read somewhere, and I'll quote this, that people who feel more connected to others have lower levels of anxiety and depression. Moreover, studies have shown that they've got a, higher self-esteem, greater ability to be empathetic, uh, more trusting and and cooperative, and others around you are more trusting and cooperative with you. Talked about when you have a resting bitch face, but other than that, there's often a smile on your face. Do you think that it must be a beautiful thing to be able to have that continual connection with people and actively seek it both in your life generally but also in your work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, I've always valued friendships and relationships and things like that. And I think I mentioned to you, I've got four or five mates that I went to primary school back in the 70s. And I'll say their names because they might listen to this one day is, you know, Tony, James, Bruce. There's a couple others. And, you know, like we grew up together and and we're still, you know, we've got our own WhatsApp chat group. And, you know, if I'm in Adelaide or Melbourne, we'll we'll catch up. and, And it brings us back to the days of being pre-teenagers and teenagers and all the fun that we got up to. So so I have those long-lasting relationships, but, you know, we moved to the Sunshine Coast back in 2001 and didn't know anyone, so we had to start again. So uh, And you do that just through the people that you meet through work and whatever, but but it takes time. It's, you know, making friends and relationship, it's an investment, So and yeah. that's something I'm prepared to do. Talk to me about the move to the Sunshine Coast. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Before we go to, can I can I just jump in because I, I, you know, we talked off off air just about you know cer- certain parts in my life and and I want to tell this story because I think there's only one person on the Sunshine Coast that actually knows this story. My, my boys don't even know this story, That's so I, I want to tell this to you. Um, and so the first one I'm going to know about this is um, is when they listen to this because and I, and we had lunch yesterday at home with both my boys and I was going to tell them and I thought no. Nah, <laughs> no, I won't. So, so I guess you talk about 
certain aspects in your life that have changed you and, mm. and whatever. So I guess mine was back in 1983. I was in year 11 mm-hmm. at high school and I had to go back to the school to pick up my report card. And for some reason, most kids got it on the last day of school, but I, and I can't remember why, but I had to go back. So I went into the principal's office and his name was Brian Cooper and he sat me down we had, you know, the small talk and he said, Peppy, here's your report card. And I said, yeah, I know, I can see I've, my name's on there. And he said, I've got something to tell you. Your grades aren't good enough to do year 12 and we're not going to let you repeat. So in my little 7, 16-year-old brain or whatever it was, I went, I can't do year 12. I can't repeat. 11. I can't repeat year 11. Oh, you want me to leave the school? You're going to kick me out. And he just looked at me and said, yeah, you're out. Because of your grades. Because oh yeah, and general attitude, yeah. So so yeah, so I need oh, to I, I need let's to put dig a, a bit deeper. I need here. to put a layer on this, and that is that um, yeah. So I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't get into like fights, and I, there was no alcohol or drugs or whatever. Just, just being a kid, just being a little bit silly. And the guys that I mentioned before, they were part of that group, and they're all very successful nowadays, which is fantastic. So. So I was really struck, and my parents wanted me to leave that school as well because of the people that I've just mentioned as well as a heap of others. You had a, like a rat pack. I had a rat pack, yeah, yeah. So, um, But we weren't bad kids. Like I said, we didn't do graffiti or anything bad like that. We were just dickheads, really, right. like just cheeky. Okay. That's probably a better word. So that's the fork in the road for me in my life because I could have gone home to mum and dad and said, hey, I've just been kicked out of school. And I would have. Do the others? Do the others get kicked as well, or just? You? Uh, no, just me. Ironically, oh uh, no, sorry. One of the, uh, young Bruce, he um, he he uh, he moved to Adelaide. So and then the, uh, Tony's was academically brilliant, so they needed to keep him. And James was um, they kept him as well. So I think, right. yeah, I think, so. or maybe James went and got a job. I, I can't remember. <coughs> so I went. So I could have gone home, told mum and dad, but I decided no, I'm not going to do that. I need to work my way out of this situation. And in what I do, PR, we call this crisis communication or crisis management. Yeah. So I just went to the local high school. That So there's three schools in town. I went to the local high school. And I said, I need to talk to the principal. And they said, sure, but you'll have to wait. Happy to wait. Sat down with the principal and said, look, I think it's time for me to have a fresh change. I need to come to this school next year. And the principal said, yeah, no problems at all. Just sign here. Said thank you, got all the paperwork, went home, saw mum and dad. Said mum and dad, you know what? You guys are right. <laughs> that school is no good for me, and those friends are no good for me. Next year, I'm going to go to Mount Gambier High School, and, and I've that, already sorted it out. Here's the oh, they got. We've been saying this for years. Those those fellas are bad, and you know you, you, they were trouble and blah blah blah. And um, <laughs> so, so it's the, the following year, 1984. I went to Mount Gambier High School. I met Angela, um, and I well, had that's serendipitous anyway. Isn't that's, it? Yeah. Well, there you go. And then I, uh, I had a fantastic year at school. I actually did really, really well. And Angela had, being your wife. Yeah, Angela being my wife now. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, yeah, and I, um, I did really well academically and got enough points to go into uni and went from there. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. You turned. You're expelled, essentially. Yeah. You're not welcome back here. Yeah. To you're the golden child because you finally followed your parents' advice and moved schools all yeah. on your own accord. Yeah. And, and there is a little side story to that. My mum and dad were um, caught up with the school principal of the school that I was discharged from and, and the principal came up to dad and said, oh, hi, John, how are you going, blah, blah, blah. Look, we're sorry we had to kick Peppy out of school and, you know, my dad's got... What are you talking about? He, he he left. He left, and he said no. And dad found when was it, And when was this? How far? Oh, uh, probably three or four months into me yeah, starting into at the other, into the other school. But by that time, I was doing so well academically. Well done. It didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. So um, yeah, so that's my first sort of issues crisis management that that's, I that if, yeah. If, if there wasn't anyone, if that if PR <laughs> wasn't. Showing up as your yeah, career option, yeah, very, very clearly, Goodness. early days. Yeah. So, so that's, but to me, that's an absolute fork in the moment. Because if I had yeah. gone home, I would have just stayed in that game and did whatever, and didn't really, wouldn't have realised my full potential. But um, yeah, the ability to go to university, get a get a degree, get a um, an MBA, and you know, work in corporate PR and all that sort of stuff wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have made that call. How long? I mean, this is a long time ago at that moment, but how long did you sit in going, 
okay, I've got to, I've, I've got to make, I've got to figure out a way through here rather than the floor just or the earth just. Oh, I had to do it straight away. So, it, so the it happened within hours. Yeah, I appreciate that, but I mean, the principal tells you this news, mm. and are you? Is it within seconds of you going? Okay, I got to figure my way out of here. Oh, or is there a moment? Yeah, look, I probably by the time I walked out, I, I realized. Yes, within a, within an hour or so. Yeah, yeah, like, okay, yeah I, I realized that I, I needed to do something because the the alternative wasn't great. Yeah. First of all, yeah, seeing my parents face to face and telling them. But also, yeah, not having that plan B. So yeah. having a plan B is important. Yeah. Mm. I like that. That's a great story. And so your your kids don't know that story? My boys don't know that story, no. In and the, fact, and the one my best friends here on the coast don't know that I suggest, story. I suggest the one person on the coast that does is Ange. Yeah, yeah. Ange is the only... Yeah, 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 yeah. She's forever grateful that I got kicked out of Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In waltzes the night in trotting armor to the to school. Yeah, well, I was the new shiny thing for a little while. So, but yeah, that's worn off. Um, so then you moved to the coast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I studied okay. down there. Studied in a place called Warrnambool, Victoria. Got my degree. Moved to Adelaide. Uh, got married. Moved to Brisbane in '96. Worked for um, Chevron, an oil and gas company, and PowerLink, high voltage electricity company, and then moved to the Sunshine Coast in. 2001 to work for Lensworth, which is now Stockland, the mm. developers of that Kwana Island area. And at what point are you having kids here? By the time we moved here, we re- so we used because we lived, we led a pretty selfish life. We lived in New Farm, Tenerife area. We had a, you know, we in both, yeah, in Brisbane, both professional, and that's kind of near the valley, and we kind of enjoyed that sort of that whole nightlife and yeah. all that sort of stuff that went with it. But we kind of were early 30s, and we thought, you know, if we're going to have a family, now's the time, and, and the coast is such a great place to bring up kids. So Oscar, our eldest, was born in September 2002, so not long after we moved, 15 months or so, 12 or so, yeah, 12, 13 months, yeah. Yeah, okay. Had you yeah. holidayed up here? Sorry, yeah, the point I was going to make is that because we lived in um, New Farm, we used to come up north quite regularly to yeah. the, yeah, like to Noosa and Maul Barn, places like that. So we had a really good affinity with, with the location. We weren't sure about living here and having a business and we thought it was a bit of a cultural wasteland. But, yeah, it's certainly changed for the better over the last 20-odd years. Yeah, it's certainly – well, I mean, I think we've still got a bit to go. Got a bit to go, but it's um, – yeah, there's a lot more to show people nowadays, which mm. is great. And then talk to me about Sunnycombs. Yeah, Sunnycombs. Okay. Well, just like you've working – then you're working for Chevron. Yeah. Come up here. Um, I'm working for Stockland, sorry. Yeah, now. work work for Lensworth um, and stay for a couple of years, and then I um, moved on and worked for a, a consultancy firm with a couple of well-known local guys, Tony Long and Damien Brown, and did that for six or seven years. And then I had some friends, uh, Rick Chapman, who started up uh, Hot Ninety One and Zinc here on the coast. They were setting up an advertising the agency. Radio stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they were setting up an advertising agency with Roger Delaney, who's our managing director, and. And they had just um, – so they were a traditional media buying agency, but they were getting a lot of – talking to a lot of different um, clients and a lot of them were asking about PR. And they said, well, why don't you set up shop and we'll start up a new business within uh, within the business. So that's the, kind of where it started 11, 12 years ago and, um, yeah, haven't looked back. And up until that point, you've been an employee. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so then you're – Shifting to more of the entrepreneurial side that mm. your old man, your, yeah. your, your dad had. Yeah. Was that an easy jump for you? Uh, it, it's pro- uh, Easy is not the right word, but um, I've adapted to it pretty well, yeah. I've, I've probably never seen myself as, you know, the nine-to-five guy anyway. I love to work in corporate. I like, you know, the, the high life that you get to, you know, the travel and all the perks and whatever that you get in corporate. But the idea of living on the coast... Um, and having my own business was meant a lot to me. And also we, were, we had family then as well, so I didn't want to do all the big travel and or go to Brisbane on a regular occasion. So, you know, I wanted to be present as a parent. So, yeah, so it was nice to be able to combine both those things as well. Yeah. Um, back to your old man. I remember mm. you telling me a story about how he was showing you places where he stashed things. Mm, mm. Yeah, okay. So, so we've got to remember that we need to – so where Dad's from is Calabria and they had no money. They were dirt poor, so he often used to say he'd come. He came when he came to Australia. He had a suitcase. He had an empty suitcase, but he pretended that there was something in it. And I, I really like that because he re- he had nothing. He said he had a shirt and maybe a, a little bit of cash or whatever. So he had nothing. So it was everything that he he got in his life he worked for, and so he wasn't a big spender. 
um, you know, there was no flash holidays, there was no flash clothes. You eventually bought a Mercedes as you got a bit older and built a very nice house and all that sort of stuff. But everything was about putting back into the family, into the business, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but he dad was a little bit quirky as well and, and much loved by the by the community as well. Um, yeah, so there was – so, you know – also, you know, running the laundromat, he used to love that because we used to have to go and empty and take all the cash out. And so on, once on a Sunday night, all the cash would be on a big table like this here and all of us kids would count it and put it in the bags and we'd have to take it to the bank. And I remember walking to the bank and people, all the bank people go, oh, no, because they had to count it again. So, uh, but Dad would love all the, and we did as kids too. We thought, wow, how good is this? All yeah. this cash, this is just, this is normal to us. So, yeah, so in, in the new house, we had um, we had a, um, a spa bath. We still do have it, but it had a side panel. And I remember Dad called me over and he'd often say, Peppy, come here. And he'd sort of kick the side of the, um, the panel of the spa bath and said, if you ever need any cash, there's a little bit in here. So he kicked it and it came open and yeah, there was a nice little uh, <laughs> wad of cash that, that was there f- for me as well. So, uh, and, and the other story which I told you, uh, which I never used, so um, we actually somehow he's blocked, he blocked all that up now, so um, that's yeah. not around anymore. Um, and also, yeah, when during the Gunnass amnesty after uh, Port Arthur, Dad was a pistol shooter, which is not unusual for an Italian to, to know how to use a gun. Um, so, but he, he gave a lot back, but there was a couple that he kept and we've got a farm back home and he, he, um, he said, Peppy, come here. And he took me to where the tractor was parked. And he said, if you dig a meter under here, there's a gun there. If you ever need any cash, you'll get four or $5,000 out of that. And I just went, dad, what am I going to do? Fantastic. So yeah. So he was a bit of a hoarder, a little bit, a little bit left of center, but certainly knew the value of money. And then nine years ago, Mm. you had to say goodbye to him. Yeah. Must've been a. A fairly, I guess, challenging time for someone who's so held in so high esteem within his community, and what he meant to you as a father, obviously. What are your What's your memory of that? Yeah, that's it, it, and you can probably tell my voice. It's it's actually even hard to talk about it now, nine years later. Yeah, dad was a dad was a, a giant in our in our family, um, and also in our community. He was heavily involved in our local soccer club. He was heavily involved in the multicultural community. He was a Rotarian for 25, 30 years. So, you know, when you walk down the main street, of, not that it's a big town, 30,000 people, but if you walk down the main street of Mount Gambia, you'd be stopping every couple of minutes talking to people. He, you know, he'd be talking to people. They'd call him over and whatever. So he was kind of like the go-to man of Mount Gambia when things needed to get done or whatever. So, yeah, yeah so, but he was diagnosed probably two years before he passed away with, with cancer. So... Was a pretty. It was a long, slow, sort of painful journey for him, and um, and as a family, we we rallied as best we could, and and it's actually brought us closer together. We're like there's five of us, including and and mum as well, and um, we don't live in each other's pockets. We all kind of live in in separate areas or whatever, and you know we don't know everything that each person does, but we certainly at that time it brought us closer. We, you know, there was lots of. Yeah, we set up a chat group like all families do and we just made sure that we did everything that we possibly could um, to make sure that Dad was okay and, more importantly, Mum was, was being looked after as well, So, which still happens today with Mum. But, um, yeah, those I was with Dad for the last two weeks of his passing and, um, you know, you look back on that now and you think, God, I, you know, I should have done more, I should have videoed him like we're doing now, asking him some questions and you know, talk to him more, but, you know, you kind of, you don't realise how permanent death is. That's mm. the thing. So, um, yeah, we, um, he passed away at 84. For his 80th birthday, we, we uh, wrote a book of his life and presented it. We had a massive party, three or 400 people, and, you know, we, pr- we printed a couple of hundred copies of the book and everyone got a copy and all that sort of stuff. So that was kind of a fantastic legacy that we've left for our children and grandchildren and, you know, for, for the wider public who wanted to know a bit more about Dad and his life, which is, and, you know, it's a proper bound book and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was a great legacy to lead for him. But, um, yeah, I, I was with him with... And I remember saying goodbye to him and thinking that, you know, he, he's going to be all right, you know, like, not all right, but, you know, I'll see him again. But, you know, within two days he passed away and, <laughs> yeah, that was it. I've never said this, but I remember getting a, call, a text from my brother who was with Dad. No, actually, sorry, he rang me. It was about five in the morning and I was back home here now. My brother had, had um, 
had taken over the duty of being with Dad because we stayed with him all night and whatever. And, and that was the morning he passed away. And I knew it happened. I just didn't want to take the call. I knew, I knew why it was ringing. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. But as I said, with hindsight, yeah, probably could have done a bit more to, to, to ask those questions that I wanted to ask. But, you know, it was um, we all did what we had to do. How did your siblings, how did that, his passing impact them? Uh, or, look, or, or your mum? Yeah, mum's funny in lots of ways, but and she's kind of like a, a get on with it kind of person as well. So to be honest, by the time the funeral happened, there was a bit of relief as well that a he was out of pain because you know, you know, in hospital, you know, you'd have to hold him up. Not that you'd ha- you know, you'd hold him up to so the nurses could clean him, and and that wasn't you know, and he was he was he was a, a fraction of the person he was sure. before, and that's not how you want to remember your dad either. No. So. It was kind of a bit of relief, if that's the right word, yeah, that, yeah. Um, how we all felt because, um, yeah, he, you know, he, he'd fought the good fight and, um, yeah, and, and, yeah, his time had come. So, yeah, and, and, and as a family, we're certainly much closer nowadays. We, we understand our responsibility to look after mum and make sure that she's okay. Um, yeah, and, and look, he had a great funeral too. Like there's a, there's a church in Mount Gamber that mum and dad got married at and it's where all the major events in our family, weddings, funerals, whatever happen. And, uh, you know, that's church seats, about a 1,000 people, and it was absolutely chockers. Wow. Yeah, um, absolutely chockers, you know. And I was lucky. I had a couple of mates here who came down for the funeral, which it, it's a great effort to do stuff like that and it's a real show, a show, a sign of love and respect for me and, and my family, which is great. And um, you know, I delivered the eulogy that day, which um, it, it was difficult, but in a strange way, it wasn't difficult. I felt Dad at my side sort of making sure that I, could, that I got through it okay. And, yeah, um, yeah it was it's one of the proudest things I've done is stand there and talk about his life and his impact on, on our family and, and the broader community and tell his story and, um, and hopefully I did him justice and hopefully um, people got to understand why he was the person that he was. Yeah. And I should add that, yeah, six months before he passed away, he was awarded an, OA, an OAM. Yeah, wow. So as a family, we all, we all went to Adelaide and um, he, he received that. And um, What a giant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, giant of a person. So, yeah, so, you know, that was such a high, um, I think that was in about October of the year before, so... Yeah, six months beforehand. So, you know, as a family, we couldn't be prouder. You know, a guy who came to Australia with an empty suitcase, suitcase. essentially and, yeah. and left with, you know, some, some businesses and properties and, and just a fantastic legacy. Having a male role model as strong and as beautiful as your dad, what did you take from that becoming a father yourself? And as you're, you've obviously now, both your boys are almost, they're out of school mm. and now and... Yep into adulthood, how's your ability to be a father developed with having such a great role model yeah, as sure. your own father? Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I guess what I saw also was how my dad evolved as a person as well over the years. So wow. coming from Italy and being, everything had to be tough and hard and you know, all that sort of stuff. And as he got older, he just became a lot softer. Yeah, okay. Principles and values still absolutely the same. The importance of family and respect and trust and all that sort of stuff. But you could just see him around kids and grandkids. He was a totally different person. So, so I guess I took a lot out of that as well as the ability that people can change. They can change their, their the way they see the world, the way they see others, and and I guess I've adopted a lot of that from, from my dad. Um, yeah, and as a parent, yeah, that's um, I've I've tried to include as much of that as I possibly can as a parent as well. You know, the, the number one thing for Angela and I is the importance of family. So, you know, we while Dad was alive, you know, we'd take a couple of trips each year down to Mount Gamble. So to get to Mount Gamble, you have to go to Melbourne, and then it's another four-and-a-half-hour drive from there. So that's a long way to go. Yeah. And for young boys like my boys were back then, it's, it's a big challenge for them. But they loved they absolutely loved it. They got treated like rock stars down there. They've got aunties and uncles doting of them, some giving them cash and, you know, just absolutely loving them. So so from my point of view, for them to understand who they are and where they come from, where they've come from, from my side of the family, but, but also Angela's side of the family is really important. So for them to know who their aunties and uncles are, which they know, their grandparents they know, which is fantastic. 
my oldest son, who's 21, Oscar, he went to Italy last year and he spent time with, we've got family in Paris, stayed with them. His, his godfather lives in Turin, stayed with him. Yeah, just that whole understanding of who you are, where you come from, how you fit into this world is really, really important. It gives you that sense of identity and I like to think both my boys have that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a great, what you said about the ability to evolve as well. Like having your core values stay the same. But mm. you're, an, and that example of your father being so such a strong, coming from such a strong sort of brazen the background mm. but then having the ability to be soft enough to adapt yeah. and evolve with who he is whilst maintaining those integral foundations I think is a wonderful thing to be able to see firsthand and then to be able to impart that onto your kids yeah I think I think dad saw that in some of the older or some of the other Italians who came from Italy who just didn't change and were always the same you know, if you if you don't evolve, you die, and and yeah, he saw that. Yeah, he went to another level once he really understood that, and I think being a Rotarian actually helped him with that because he got to mix with a whole heap of different people from all walks of life, and that gave him another dimension as well. People look at you, Pep, and I can't speak for everyone, but certainly from my side, is that it is this sort of I don't know person that has it has it all together, you know, in the sense of you've got the business side going well, you. Often, more often than not, smiling and having mm. an enjoyable time. You got Ange there. You got the boys. It's just, just life is beautiful. Yep. Well, what did I say last night? La vita è bella. Yeah, no, life is good. Life is yeah, good. yeah. And yeah. I showed you that little snippet from uh, Life Is Beautiful, the fantastic Italian film from 1989, which won an, um, an Academy Award. And I showed you, I sent you a little snippet from that, which really resonates with me. And I'll just explain to to our listeners it's the german guard and he had some italian prisoners and he said come forward whoever can speak german come forward so the guy the german guy was talking and delivering some pretty harsh instructions Mm -hmm. and the italian guy robert benini was sort of making light of it um and there's a bit of me in that there's there's a bit of me in that there's a little bit of hey you know we're not here for a long time so let's have some fun um i'm a big believer in um informing and educating people uh, sorry educating people and having fun along the way as well i think it enhances your learning yeah um but yeah part of that little clip that i showed you was yeah there was a little kid and you could see the little kid was trying not to laugh because he was making fun of what this german guy was was about but yeah it just it just reminded me of my dad's funeral again i um we all got up on the stage uh, up on where the coffin is um in the church and i hugged all my siblings before i got to make my um do my eulogy and i looked at my sister and i said just laugh at my jokes this is my dad's funeral and she just looked at me in a nice way and just said don't change hey don't change and you're a dickhead (laughs) in the same sort of in the same sort of light so yeah so i delivered a few one-liners and whatever at my dad's uh, eulogy to to um yeah to hopefully bring a little bit of light and laughter to um a pretty solemn occasion yeah I can only imagine that that was exactly what you would be doing. Yeah. Um, but I guess where I was headed though yeah. is that whilst that perception is is good and and probably true for a large, large extent, 2020 brought its own challenges for the Bowetti household. Yeah. And I don't know a huge extent. I don't know the extent of it. I only know a little bit of it. And I know mm. there's a lot of people that who know you well that don't know much about it. Yeah. So talk to me about the events in 2020. Sure. Yep. Yeah, and I'm, I'm. I said to you before, I'm very. I want to be an open book today and sort of talk about, um, yeah, so, yeah, because it's not all positive. There's certain things that happen in your life, and I guess how you react to those things are, are really important. So, so it was. I, m- I remember the date. It's. It's. We've actually got it in the, on the calendar at home. It was March the 18th, 2020. So, and I don't want to go into too much of the detail, but um, our younger son Archie, who was I think 14 at the time. Uh, was involved in an accident where he received burns to 25% of his body. So um, we didn't know that at the time. We just received a phone call saying we had to go to um, Children's Hospital in Brisbane that night. So um, so we made our way, Ange and I made our way, and down to Brisbane we've got an older son who was doing Year 12 at the time, so it was pretty stressful for him as well. So, um, yeah, we um, I, I still remember that, that drive down to Brisbane, like Ange and I, we talk a lot, so you know, and yeah, you know, conversation flows pretty easily. But that 
that trip there wasn't a word spoken we were just waiting for our phone to ring to get updates of how he was what was happening all we knew was that he was involved in an accident there was he had some burns to his body including his face but that's all we knew so yeah, so we so we got to the hospital. We parked downstairs, and we and as soon as we got there, the nursing staff and the reception they knew exactly who we were and why we were there. We were there, so we kind of got to his room, and Ange got there first and said, "Oh my God, he's 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 totally dark black," and um, and so we walked in, and yeah, he his his face was totally covered in. In, in burns, his the skin on his fingers was was coming off. He had burns here uh, on his chest and also on his legs as well. And um, yeah, I remember he was he, he was coherent. We could talk to him, and he was he he was okay. He was calm. He was calm, which was good. And I remember him saying to me, "Dad, <laughs> oh Jesus," he said, "Dad, is my face going to be all right?" <laughs> and and I didn't know. I had no idea. He had he had a lot of a lot of scarring on his face and whatever, and, and the accident only happened a couple of hours before that. And I just said, mate, you're in the best place you can possibly be right now. And we're lucky in Brisbane; we have some of the best skin specialists in the world. I said, you'll be right. You'll be absolutely. You'll you'll be fine. Everything will be okay. I didn't know, but you've just got to be positive. And um, yeah, he was in ICU for two night, three nights. Um, he was in hospital for a month. He had to learn to walk again. Uh, do the whole rehab, rehabilitation, physio, all that sort of stuff. I remember when he got out of ICU, we, we Ange and I got called in to speak to a specialist. He was an Italian. I was hoping he might do a ben, um, Roberto Benini and sort of give us the positives, but he just looked at us and said, your, scan, your son is going to have scars for the rest of his life. <laughs> and Ange and I, we, we, and we were in this outside area. We went in a room or whatever, and we just were crying our eyes out. And I rem- there's two things I remember from that. I remember thinking, A, we can't let this affect us, our relationship, Ange and my relationship. We've got to just work through this, which, we've, which we did. Um, but I also remember going back to the room. They gave us a little room that we could just sort of rest in for a while. And I remember Ange was lying down and she was still sort of crying or recovering. And I remember looking outside and there was, so it was the children's hospital. Yeah. And there was a young girl, no hair, who was being wheeled around. And right then it struck me as I, I thought, you know what, we could be the lucky ones here. We could be the lucky ones. And we were. We were. He um, he got out. He, um, yeah, he's just finished year 12. He got a fantastic result. He's got a girlfriend. He's going to Bali. He's got a car. He's got a job. He's going to uni next year. And, and you know, life's looking pretty good for him. But... Um, and, he, and to be honest, he deserves all the credit for this. He's, he did all the rehab himself. He had ended up having 13 operations in the end. So Whoa. Yeah, you know, each time. So we'd have to go back to Brisbane. He'd, they'd put him under, you know, he had skin graft, skin grafts, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, if, if it, it sounds strange, but if it's going to happen to anyone, someone like Archie would handle it the best and he did. He's um, both Angela and I are really proud of him and what he. We're proud of both our boys. Absolutely proud of him. But to get through what he got through that time um, was phenomenal. And and yeah, as a parent, it's one of those worst nightmare scenarios because yeah, it always happens to someone else. Yeah, yeah. But on this occasion, it it happened to us. But you know, how did you go about with Ange and, how, and to to ensure that because that could definitely break. A set of parents looking, seeing their child in such pain and such challenging circumstances. How did you sort of see it as a, well, this is us versus like we we need to band together closer yeah. and, and deal with this together rather than having it in the middle? Yeah, it, it, I think there's a couple of things there. One, it's about communication. So, yeah, there was lots of communication with us about who was doing what. Because, yeah. as I said, Oscar was doing year 12, so we had to kind of get home or make sure that he was being looked after. So I think a communication between us was really important. But one of my favourite sayings about raising children is, um, and I think Sunny Kids, or well, Sunny Kids do use it, uh, the local charity here, and that is it, it takes a village Um and, you know, we're really lucky. We've got some fantastic neighbours who have lived across the road next door to us for the last 20 years who are kind of like quasi-grandparents. So whenever we've needed oh, anything wow. over the years, we've all, 
always had them. So they were there to help look after Oscar to make sure he was all right. Yeah. Angie's mum and her her husband were around, which is good. And then we've got a network of friends of five or six, maybe a couple more, you know, who helped out with, you know, just buying us coffee vouchers. So when we're in prison, we could just go to a coffee shop and get it. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, dinner vouchers or, or whatever. So I think that's just that whole network that we've got of um, – of friends and family who, who who rallied around us. My sister, um, she's Archie's godmother and Oscar's as well, but Archie, she sent him some money and, and one of the things that he wanted was um, a PlayStation in hospital. And I didn't understand why he wanted a PlayStation. I thought, what, you know, come on, you're recovering and all that sort of stuff. But what I realised is that he was able to play games with his mates who were home. So while he's playing PlayStation, they're all connected up with headphones oh, or whatever. Sure. So he was, you know, three or four mates and he could communicate with them and it all ask how he was going and yeah. they could talk. And I thought it's probably one of the best things that happened to him while he was in hospital is that the fact that he was able to communicate with his mates because he was stuck in there for a month. He, he, we could have visitors, but you'll remember March um, 2020 was when COVID yeah, hit. Sure. So as an adolescent, you're probably not going to be super comfortable in being able to just call up a mate and have a chat or, you know, whereas it's probably a, it's like when you, uh, I think for certainly for men going golfing, for example, yeah, it's a great uh, vessel to be able yeah. to have meaningful discussions. And yeah. I think for an adolescent sometimes, um, I guess in that environment with like a ga- with gaming, it's their ability to enjoy something together yeah. and have the uh, ability to sort of sidebar how's it all going in there? Yeah. Like how's your face or how's the next surgery? What's, what's going on? Like, yeah. but not, not necessarily have the ability to do that just on a straight conversation maybe. Yeah. So I think that's Yeah, yeah, like totally. And I, I didn't understand at the time, but w- once I saw it for the first time, and in fact, I've actually got a little video of it somewhere of when, when he was first connected and talking to his mates and you could just see he, yeah. his persona changed a lot, but also it's stressful his mates too, because they're really close and they didn't know what was happening, whether he'd get out or how, disfigured he might be, et cetera. Sure, but, sure. but we're pretty lucky. He, I should end this by saying, yeah, his, his face is perfectly fine. He has some scar- scarring on his chest. He has some scarring on his inner thighs. And <laughs> Pep, I really appreciate um, you sharing a bit today. I don't think this is going to be the last time you get into this studio. And I appreciate you being the first one. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be the first one. Uh, but... To be fair, like when I, whenever, whenever I do, whenever I have a difficult moment, like the I, the just the idea of thinking about you, smiling, laughing, communicating, in that connection with people, yeah. and and your adage that life is beautiful, I think is just to know that it is so finite, and as you said, that death is so permanent. To make a little bit of a joke or make a little, make it lighthearted, make, make, make sure you don't take life too seriously. Mm. I think is, is what we all need while still maintaining the importance of family and the importance of connection. Yep. It's beautiful. Before you go, I'm going to throw you the five quick fire questions, ah. which I haven't told you that I would, but I assume you know them. I do know them. I was going to say at the start, I'm a, I'm a long-term, like to say in Talkback Radio, I'm a, a long-term listener, but first time caller. Cool. So yeah, yeah. I certainly, um, I know this question and I actually forgot to prepare it for it. Yeah, prepare yeah. for it. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> well, maybe you can come back. No, no. I'm done. I'm good. You're right. All right. Yeah. Number one tip for someone looking to be more successful in their life. Oh, I, I didn't know these questions. Well, you said you're a long time listener. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the five people that you want to get on the show. No, no. Yep. What someone wanting to be more successful in their life. Yep. What's the first tip that you comes to your mind? Apart from hard work, which is, you know, the Italian way, it's, um, to me, you know what, it's, it's about being a good listener. You know, I think that's a, it's a, I think it's a real skill. It's, it's the ability to, to listen to what people are saying and enact. I think too soon people are too, too ready to give advice or to not listen. But I think if you can listen, and I think the other point is having a really good network around you, a yeah. really good network of people who, who you know and trust and who are specialists in what they do you can't do everything yourself. Number one tip for people wanting to be more happy in their life? <laughs> um, surround yourself with good people. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have a lot of time for um, people who are who are nasty or bad or have, have bad intentions. I've tended to weed those people out of my life 
Uh, and and I'm, we're in a lucky position now with the business that, you know, when I first started, we'd just take on everyone because you, you wanted everyone, but not everyone's suitable for you from a, you know, from a, business point of view so um yeah we tend to, to weed out who who we have as clients and who who we don't as well so surround yourself with good people number one book that is most you'd be most wanting to gift or recommend uh um i was really lucky when i worked for um powerlink down in brisbane we did the the program and read the book seven habits of highly effective people i just i've read other books in, over the years leadership management books but I find I struggle to find a better book than that. Okay. It's simple, it's easy to understand, and I've tried to pass it on to my boys, but so far I don't think it's worked. <laughs> Our most influential person in your life, Pep? Oh, um, well, it has to be my dad. Hmm. You could probably tell by the conversation today, and I miss him absolutely every day, and I hope he's proud of the life that I'm leading now. But, yeah, definitely most influential is um, is my dad and um um, one of, one of our directors, Rick Chapman, Chappie. He's he's just a great mate. He's always looked out for me and helped me out with business, uh, personal life, private stuff. When st- stuff happened with Archie and Oscar, he's he's yeah. he's he's always there for you. He's an incredible person. And then finally, mm-hmm. the number one, I guess, famous or not, mm-hmm. you think we should have on the show? Can I have a couple? You can have as many as you want. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah, this is one I, I, I had thought about. Um, we do have a lunch appointment in about yeah, three minutes. Yeah, we do. Minutes. We do. Okay. Um, uh, the first one I'm going to say is Trent Dalton, um, Boy Swallows Universe. I just, I've just i got a big man crush on people who can write really well, so I think he'd be fantastic. Um, Rupert McCall from, is you know great writer, great orator. I've managed to get to know him really well over the years, and I think he'd be fantastic. Um Former Western Bulldogs footballer. He also writes articles in the paper. Bob Murphy. I really am really impressed with him as a person, and and the way he he leads his life. Probably probably those three are the the. It's not surprising they're all right. Yeah, they all right. Yeah, uh, from and, the PR and, guy. And from a PR point, uh, from a female point of view, um, we have already had Rose White, but I, I think she's a hero. I really yeah. do. I think she's an incredible point of view uh, person, um, and I have to say. Um, Female, um, you know, a North Melbourne supporter. Our our president is a lady called Sonia, Dr. Sonia Hood. She runs um, Communities Australia. She's our full time president. I'd love, love to get her on. As of last year, and um, in in that year, we lost our coach because because um, of a, an issue with with the AFL, a racism issue, which was proven to be unfounded. But she also um, was diagnosed with breast cancer <laughs> during the year as well. So just her leadership of how she's held all that together and um she just holds herself really really well and I'm, i've never met her but my um i think she's a really impressive person peppy already thank you so much for coming on i'm sure it won't be the last time thanks richard and congratulations on what you're achieving thank you mate thanks that was another episode of the success times happiness podcast we hope you really enjoyed it just before we recorded we had the, the tradie who's fitting out our kitchen in the law firm so if you really did enjoy this, please share it with any trainers that you think you enjoyed as well. Until next time, peace.